My name is Dave Dorst. If I haven't met you yet, uh, some visiting faces. Wonderful to have guests this morning. And once again, happy Mother's Day. And up higher. There we go. We are uh, usually preaching through books of the Bible, but from time to time, Dr. Dave throws us a little curveball, and we, uh, we have a kind of a topical series, uh, Time of Trouble. And so we've been looking at a few different ways uh, that trouble comes into our lives. And this morning, the trouble of being overwhelmed. We're going to be reading from uh, John's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. Uh, you should have a sermon outline. It's printed in there or grab your Bible. This is from the ESV. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Philip, one of the disciples. And asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Almighty, eternal, merciful God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Open and illuminate our minds that we may purely and perfectly understand your word, and that our lives may be conformed to what we understand. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you follow the NBA, NBA professional basketball at all, you know that today kicks off the conference finals. I don't think a lot of you do, but I've got a few. I know. My daughters and I are looking forward to uh, Cavs Celtics today. Um, we are, that's one series before we get to the finals, which stretches into June, interrupts Dave's baseball season. Uh, but, and most of you are watching hockey, I think. 
But the finals are coming. It's probably going to be Golden State against Cleveland again, fourth time in a row. But there have been uh, some exciting developments this postseason. One of the most uh, exciting teams is the Philadelphia 76ers. And it would have been more exciting if they had actually made it out of the second round. That could have helped my illustration a little bit, but they lost. Uh, they're not in the conference uh, finals. But what makes it exciting is that they were one of the worst teams, really the worst team in the league for many years. Okay, Between 2014-2016, uh, they lost more games than any other team. They actually broke the NBA record for consecutive losses. But what's interesting is they were okay with that. In order to become one of the best teams in basketball, they became the worst team. Let me explain. Uh, they brought in a general manager back in 2013. His name is Sam Hinkie. And he made it clear up front that he would have the team end up with the worst record possible so that they could get high draft picks. They knew they needed marquee players, right? And so he, want, he warned the team and the fans, fan base, the owners, everybody, hey, you know, it's going to be painful in the short term, but it's going to be worth it long term. And eventually a phrase captured what would give 76ers fans and players some hope in the midst of all these blowout losses? Maybe you've heard the phrase, trust the process. Trust that there is a method to all of this losing, a method to the madness, right? That, that in the losing, there's a plan to bring in great players to eventually win. And those high draft picks ended up being great players. Uh, Joel Embiid, if you've heard his name, they actually call him The Process. And Ben Simmons, uh, I think might be the rookie of the year. And everything clicked this year as they went 52 and 30 and were the third seed, two games higher than LeBron and the Cavs. They lost in the second round, but just getting there really has given validation to the process. Maybe your life has felt at times like a player or a fan with that team in those couple years of losing. Maybe you've had an extended season in life or been dealing with what felt like a lot of losses in a row. Maybe you've been fired or you've had an extended illness, someone close to you die. A lot of different things. Our theme for the morning, as I said, is, is being overwhelmed. And there are a number of ways that we get overwhelmed. Uh, in the book Refresh, uh, husband and wife Shona and David Murray said this, Housework demands our energy. Employers demand our hours. The church demands our commitment. Friends demand our presence. Kids demand our taxi cab. Credit cards demand our dollars. School sports demand our evenings and weekends. The yard demands our sweat. Charities demand our donations. The sick demand our visits. Marriage demands our time. Relations demand our phone calls. Email demands our response 
Pinterest demands our perfection. And on and on, incessantly, it goes. End quote. We are worn out and stressed. And sometimes we don't see a bigger picture. The plans behind it. What, what makes all the blood, sweat, and tears worth it. We don't know if God is working in our lives or how. And if he's going to redeem this whole mess, we have a hard time trusting the process. So we turn to John chapter 12 here, and we see in this passage a time in Jesus' life that had him reflecting on the greater purposes of his life. Uh, Since we're not working through the book of John and just using various scripture texts, you might be wondering when this is occurring, if you haven't looked around it. This is um, actually at the end of Jesus' life. Uh, early in his last week, what we call Holy Week. And so, you know, the Sunday was Palm Sunday, where Jesus comes in on the donkey to the crowd's applause and and palm branches. Monday, he clears the temple. This is Tuesday that this happens. And it's before uh, the Last Supper and the arrest on Monday, Thursday, and the crucifixion on Friday. So we're right in between sort of these big days in Holy Week. And the first half of the passage shows us how Jesus introduces himself to some outsiders. Uh, Let me read again, 20 through 26. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus... And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor me. Okay, so some men from Greece, some Gentiles, want to come and meet Jesus. As you know, most of his early followers were Jewish, but here are what they considered outsiders who've heard about him. And so they happen to be in Jerusalem during the feast, and they approach a couple of his disciples. Uh, We don't know if it's because they're really spiritually hungry and want to hear his message, or if they just want his autograph, meet the local celebrity everybody's talking about. And there may have been more dialogue here that John doesn't include, but what we get is Jesus getting right to the heart of his life, his mission, And what he expects of his followers. Remember that early in the Gospels, Jesus had said things like, My hour has not yet come. Or, it's not time for me to die. Well, now it is time. The hour has come. Or is very coming that week. And he announces it. And then he says, verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. 
But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, when Jesus starts a statement, as he does many times, truly, truly, I say to you. It's not that he's been lying, right? Or that he's just been throwing things out there that he's not sure if they're true or not. And suddenly, okay, well, here, I definitely know this is true, right? No, he makes a point to emphasize it because it's massively important. Tim Keller points out that the uh, English statements don't translate uh, the Greek, amen, amen, very well because there's not a great way in English to emphasize what Jesus is trying to emphasize. Now, the ESV here says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, and others say, I tell you the truth, or most assuredly, and, and the old King James, verily, verily. But what it all means is this is important. This is crucial. This is solemn. You can base your life on this. I preached recently on 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says that our bodies are planted in death. And then they're harvested in righteousness, in resurrection bodies. Our our earthly, physical bodies are seeds that then God will raise and give heavenly bodies to. It's a great passage. This is, verse 24 here, is the precursor to that. Right? Jesus did that first. He's the first fruits of the resurrection, the first to have his body planted in death and then harvested in glory. His death and subsequent resurrection, which would happen that week, that weekend, right, would bring salvation for his people, bearing much fruit. Now Jesus goes on and he explains that there are things that are required now of my followers. I don't know if he was interacting with the Greeks so much as maybe announcing it, but maybe he's really sending them a message. Make sure what you know, what you're getting into as you come to me. And now Jesus has said some crazy, backwards, upside down things in his ministry, right? Love your enemies. Become like a little child to enter the kingdom. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That's some strange, backward teaching. And here we have one. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That is so counterintuitive to how we think And live. Maybe we've heard it so many times that we forget how backwards it sounds. Because we love our lives. And the way that you work on your life is you achieve your dreams and your agenda and whatever you want to happen, you gotta make happen. Right? But here, to hate our lives means that we need to stop pursuing our own agenda and our dreams and start seeking the things of his kingdom. And what does Jesus say happens when you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness? All these things will be added 
to you, right? And then last, Jesus says that those who follow, those who serve him, will be rewarded by God the Father honoring him and giving them eternal life. I don't know about you, but I love to be honored. I think all of us do, even though we sort of have this pretend false humility and sort of embarrassment when we're spoken well of. We want to hear it. And really, the world looks down on those who serve. Don't they? The the message is usually the more important you are, the more people will serve you. And then you will be honored that way. But of course, Jesus says, no. Honor is found in humility and service. Follow my lead of serving others. And God the Father will honor you. That's an awesome promise. So Jesus introduces himself and says, this is where I'm going. And he knows what he's facing, what he's heading towards with his arrest and crucifixion, but that doesn't mean it's easy. And so the second half of this passage shows his hesitation, his anguish. This is where we're keying in on being overwhelmed and troubled. Let's read again verses 27 through 33. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Why does Jesus say that his soul is troubled now? I mean, he'd already had a lifetime of trouble, right? Born under a cloud of suspicion to an unwed mother. His family forced to flee where he was born because the king was trying to kill him and any uh, infant boys that might be him. He was lonely throughout his ministry and he fasted and was tempted In the wilderness, he constantly was faced with conflict from those who were threatened by his message. As Isaiah 53 prophesied, he was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And now Jesus was getting close to the cross. And knowing that he would not only give his life, but be separated from the Father for the first time in eternity and be punished for our sins. Jesus said that his soul was troubled. His humanity at that moment is overwhelmed by what is to come. It seems that Jesus is saying that the path that God has him on is going to be too 
difficult, too agonizing. And it's tempting to want to escape and not have to go through with it. But then he says, that's the whole reason he's there. That God will be glorified in this and that amazing things will result as he walks in obedience, right? The world will be judged. Satan will be defeated. God's people will be drawn to him. Jesus dying on the cross in our place will save us, will rescue us from our sentence of condemnation. So even while Jesus is temporarily overwhelmed and troubled, he remembers to trust God's process. Trust what God is doing, how he will work through this pain. Losing now will bring the great win later. One of our members had a hard week and wrote this on Facebook. I got permission to share it. I am comforted by the fact that Christ himself, in the last week of his life here on earth, was overwhelmed by the coming suffering. He cried out to the Father to let the cup of wrath pass from him. But the suffering was necessary, not for him, but for us. God's plan for us was fulfilled, not in the suffering being taken away, but in Christ walking through it on our behalf. As he walks through it with us now, I take comfort in recognizing that sometimes he doesn't take away the suffering for me because he is glorified in me, recognizing my need of my loving Father and trusting in him to walk with me through my suffering. That is well said. We all search for meaning in life. We search for peace and comfort And we often are lacking those things. Now, there are a lot of practical things that I can recommend to you to lessen your sense of being overwhelmed, right? Things that your guidance counselor or your life coach or some book about being stress-free would say, right? More sleep, balanced diet, moderate exercise, you know, attack your essential priorities first, Learn to say no. Improve your communication and conflict skills. A lot of different things. And actually, I have a better list than that. Um, Someone in this church, uh, who shall remain nameless, texted me this week with a very helpful list of application for this sermon. Uh, Just to help out those who are stressed, here's here's what they, they texted me. Number one, assess your problems and things to do. Make a detailed list, including priorities and due dates. Number two, get distracted by that closet that you never open that really needs cleaning out. Hide the list so you don't feel guilty. Number three, retail therapy. Go shopping. Number four, get home and cry. Soothe with ice cream and or wine. Number five, scroll mindlessly through social media feeds Number six, go to sleep. Who needs that stupid list anyways? And number seven, wake up in a frenzy at 5 a.m. and get everything on the list done. So I appreciate uh, any input in sermons. Um, 
that actually sounds like my sermon preparation. Uh, but I don't know how they'd know that. Getting back to my point, there are a lot of practical things you can do to reduce your stress and make life less overwhelming, but are they long-term solutions? Do they simply treat the symptoms or do they get at the root of your problems? And ultimately, are soul troubles, the ones like guilt and shame and insignificance, dread and uncertainty over death and salvation, are true issues. Our soul troubles need a soul doctor. If you want true peace in all situations and seasons, you must make peace with God and find your rest in Him. Three of the classic verses about finding rest and peace. They're in your outline. I'm going to read them. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And John, Jesus said also later in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then Paul says in Philippians 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Rest in your Creator. Cast your cares upon Him. Pray for the things in your life. Lift them up to His throne. And He promises rest and peace and perspective. But it never feels that easy, does it? Those are beautiful promises. But everyone who walks with the Lord still has seasons in their lives filled with defeat, loss, affliction, and silence. In those moments, we feel tempted to give in to despair. It's easy to think that God has forgotten you or that there is no great design and plan we, never, we need to remember that we were never promised a smooth ride in our Christian lives. In fact, the opposite, we were promised troubles and persecution and difficulties. Yes, peace. But in this world, you will have trouble. But in that, there is great meaning. Romans 8.28 is our promise. We know that for those who love God... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We do want answers. Why is this happening, Lord? What are you doing here? 
But if God never gave Job any answers for the suffering that he went through, he doesn't owe you an explanation either. And not that we'd understand it if he did. He is weaving things in our lives and the lives around us and throughout history that we're not going to understand this side of heaven. And there's an old saying you've probably heard, when you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Another way to say, trust the process. Or as Need to Breathe song multiplied said, I have surrendered to your design. Trust that God is at work through the tough times when you want to quit. He's bringing about changes in you, molding you to be more Christ-like. We call that process sanctification. He is sanctifying you, refining you, teaching you, growing you. And we know that he is going to bring you through. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I thought I was the only one that saw this trust the process connection with spiritual life, but I Googled it, and there's already an article out there on the Desiring God website, a man named Rayshon Graves. And he said this, God will not leave his new creatures unfinished. So if I press on in the war with my sin, continuing in faith and repentance, trusting the process means that in both my best efforts and my worst failures in working out my salvation, I can be assured that it is God who works in me, both to will and work for his good pleasure. Jesus has already accomplished for us what the process is working in us. As God's people placed in the process of sanctification, our heads can be held high in every season because our final outcome is not in question despite how the present may appear. The final outcome of what God is producing in His people is secured. And all God's people said, Amen. Take a moment to pray and I will close us. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the struggles of the people that you chose throughout redemption history. And thank you that we even see in Jesus' humanity a struggle because of the pain that he would face, particularly the pain of being separated from you. Because it reminds us that even though we are new creations in Christ, 
when you save us, when you draw us to yourself, that our problems are not over. That we will continue to struggle and we'll probably have newer and more difficulties. As now the struggle with sin is real. Because we feel feel new guilt and want to please you. But Lord, thank you that even when we're overwhelmed, whether it's something that we've brought on ourselves or something that life has done to us, God, thank you that you are there. God, thank you that you are working in us face and just fail the worst way we can imagine. Whether we handle our problems well or not, whether we're thriving or barely getting out of bed, God, you are working your process, working your love and your sanctification in us, and you will see us through. Those that you begin in salvation, you will see through to the end. And we don't know what the difficulties in our lives and the ways you work will affect those around us. But we trust you, God. And we lean on you through the difficult times, through the trials and the victories. And we thank you for our great salvation through your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive the benediction from 2 Corinthians 13.11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen. Happy Mother's Day.